about what's going on in the sanctuary with these stations. We had our, our time of prayer yesterday, and then what we did was we wanted to leave it up so everybody gets a taste of it. Next time, you know, to inspire this greater participation in this, it was, it was a holy blessed time, and, uh, and we're grateful for it. Uh, and with that, let's go to the Lord as God's people of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you are holy, you are God, and we are your people. We thank you for saving us by your grace. Thank you for gathering us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can come here together as your people to pray, to praise, and worship you alone. Thank you for making us on purpose for your purpose. Lord, we ask that you forgive us when we dismiss the needs of others, and help us to forgive those that dismiss our needs. Heavenly Father, we lift up those in our congregation hurting physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for your healing touch, and we also ask that your healing presence and, and the presence of freedom that comes by faith in you, Jesus, be known and shared and lived into in our greatest community. We ask that you, you watch over our leaders, Lord, and we come to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 If you'd please stand. <laughs>
Back in mid-June, there was a severe storm that ransacked Shreveport, Louisiana. It knocked out power to a quarter of a million people, and uh, the state put the city in a state of emergency. See, for nearly a week, the residents were out of power, and there was a heat wave with the index values greater than 105 degrees. The elderly residents in the community were, were struggling to keep cool as and their health concerns were, were getting worse. And so God put on Grace Point Church of the Nazarene's heart in Shreveport, Louisiana, to partner with the local business area association. And they put on a fad and fan drive to help support the elderly people that couldn't stay cool, as well as to go ahead and support those in the community that needed to go ahead and beat the heat. You know, soon Grace Point found out that, that God had a, had a plan, not just for fans, but for souls. And those that were touched by the fan drive soon came to know the Lord. They began to attend the church, and they became active in their community, sharing the gospel and ministering to the needs of others. Grace Point's response was, our hope, our dream, our desire is to share the grace that we have received so that we can pass it on to our community, and then... Hopefully, they'll pass it on to someone else. And that's exactly what's been happening. Shreveport, Louisiana is being impacted by the gospel of Christ alive and in action through God's people at Grace Point that are making disciples, that are learning to make disciples because they saw a need in their community and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and meet that need. When we do so with God. Nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask that your anointing and blessing continue upon Grace, Grace Point Nass. Thank you for the partnership with them and the local business community to affect the lives in a radical way, life and death way for those in their community. And even more important, the eternal life that was shared and spoken into. And the glory to you, Lord, for souls coming to claim, uh, proclaim you as Lord and Savior, and then going back out into the communities to continue to share your hope and your gospel. Be with them, their leaders, be with their community. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Thanks be to God. At this time, would you just bow your heads with me as we, we go before the Lord to ask his uh, blessing upon our offering. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do so humbly. It strikes us, Lord, that when we open our eyes to everything that is around us, it all comes from you. We ask that these offerings and these givings that we give to you, Lord, that they may be a blessing upon you, upon your ministry, upon your work, and upon your, your church. May all glory be to you. May souls be saved, Lord. We thank you for the provision you've, you've given. We ask that you multiply our, our gifts and our offerings, Lord, that we do so joyfully. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said... Amen. And if you, for your offerings, you can put it in the connection box on the back of the sanctuary and uh, over there on the, on the office door. And now it's time to pass the peace. So we want to stand on up. If you want to check out some of the prayer stuff or just go say hi to someone and say good morning.
Good morning, everybody. I just have a couple quick announcements for everyone. Um, so the first one is going to be um, just some members in the congregation and just for us to keep in mind, anybody knowing of an apartment or house for rent, um, talk to Pastor Jason. Uh, there, there's some maybe some needs there and uh, just pray over that and, and think about that. Um, and the other announcement is to write a note of encouragement with our Fruit of the Spirit monthly theme. So just a reminder for that. And everything else in the bulletin is there. And I think that's it for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jordan. <clears throat> and if you have your Bibles, your apps, we're going to be landing in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. And your pew Bible is on page 735. Uh, this morning we're going to be finishing up our Connect, Grow, Serve series as we glimpse of what it looks like to serve together as a church family. See, there's a young girl, and she's walking along the beach, and there were thousands of starfish that had washed up from a recent storm, and, and as she walked up, she would pick up a starfish, and, and she'd throw it back into the ocean. She'd get another one, and she'd throw it back. And people began to stare at her and they began to point fingers and laugh. And, and she's not going to go ahead and make any difference. And one, at one point, a man approached her and he's going to bestow some adult wisdom on her. The little girl, <clears throat> why are you doing this? Look at this beach. Thousands of starfish. And you think you're going to save each and every one? You can't even begin to make a difference. And a little girl seemed crushed. She was deflated and she thought. She bends down, picks up a starfish, looks at it, looks at the guy, looks at the ocean and throws it back in. She goes, well, it made a difference to that one. And the man <laughs> just stared at her curiously. And he thought about what she said. 
and he joined her. And the two of them started going ahead and throwing starfish back in the ocean. And then all the crowd that was laughing at that little girl, they got inspired by her making a difference to one. And by the end of the day, every starfish was back in the ocean. They were all saved. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 10, 30 through 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. By now, or now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he, went, then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent. This has been the word of the Lord. And all of God's people said, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The parable of the Good Samaritan is so familiar, many times we lose sight of its pur purpose, which is to follow a Christ-like godly example. As we connect, as we grow, and we serve in our communities together as a church family. And in our text, Jesus is speaking with a, a religious leader, an expert on Hebrew law. And he's coming up and he has a conversation with Jesus and He's, they're talking about how to inherit eternal life. So this is not just behavior, but this is an eternal life-changing moment that alters our behavior. And the person, or the Jesus responds to this man and says, what does the law of Moses say about eternal life? And the man responds, rightly so, because he's an expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, you got it right. Good, good. And then the guy wants to justify his actions and the life that he's been living. And he asked, well, who's my neighbor? But from the book of Leviticus, in that time, the definition of neighbor, both culturally and by Hebrew law, is an Israelite or someone who had converted to Judaism. Judaism. And Jesus sees right through this question and begins this parable. But for us to rightly discern, we need to rephrase the question. The man isn't asking, who's my neighbor? The man is asking, who is not my neighbor? Basically, who do I not have to help? And that's where our parable begins is <clears throat> for those that listening to Jesus, he begins this parable and they were so familiar with the area. He draws them into this dialogue. See, they all, everybody in the area knew that traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho was treacherous at, at the very best. It was a 17 mile journey on foot or by animal or by cart. And it was so violent that it was known as the way of blood. It was desolate. It was rocky. It was a perfect place <clears throat> that was characterized by danger, ambush, and bandits. <clears throat> and this leads us to our unworried Jewish traveler who, who's traveling and is, is robbed and beaten, stripped of his clothes, and left half dead. Half dead. Scripturally, half dead is either that person can be taken as very near death or that person is so badly injured that without any assistance, their life is in grave danger and they will die. And so Jesus begins to challenge the listeners and begin to challenge us on how to look at others when they are in need. Do we see others as a half dead corpse unworthy of our time? And our resources? Or do we see a half alive person 
who's made in the image and the likeness of God. When we see someone in need, do we see them of, worthy of God's love? Do we see them worthy of our love? See, in verse 31, we see a phrase that by chance, which highlights how so often we come to opportunities to go and serve, to share our, our faith when we least expect it. And it's usually in inconvenient times and circumstances. And the first person to encounter this victim on the road is a priest. And the indication that he's going down the road, you had Jerusalem. And then you had Jericho, so chances are he's traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, just like that traveler was. <clears throat> and if he was in Jerusalem and he was a priest, he may have been doing his priestly duties, and now he's just traveling after his tour. And, and certainly a priest would know and, and, and know Hebrew law and culture and hospitality and will respond to a fellow Jew in need. Yet when the priest comes across this man lying, Scripture says he simply crossed the street and passed by. Those listening understood that according to the law of Moses, that if that preach went ahead, priest went ahead and touched a corpse, that priest would become unclean. And so to go ahead and, and, and investigate too thoroughly may mean that, well, the priest's got to go possibly back to Jerusalem to to go through cleansing rituals and, and, and that's going to take time and, and that's going to take resources and, and in other words this, this priest is on a business trip and he wants to get home and doesn't want to be contaminated by the victim and he'd have to turn around and it would just be a big headache plus there's no telling how long it would take and, and the priest will give some grace the priest may have thought you know what this is the way of blood this is a long long journey Maybe this is a trap. Maybe that person is just a, a, a decoy. And I'm going to go over there and then I'm going to get ambushed. I don't want anything to do with that kind of drama in my life. I'm just going to move on. And then goes at a distance. And the priest is followed by another servant of God. A Levite. The Levite served in the temple and presumably know the, the law as well. And it's interesting because the Levite does something different than the priest. The Levite seems to come over and to investigate the person that is lying half dead, a half alive human being, and then crosses over and passes by, which means the Levite at least could have possibly seen that the person was breathing, was making noise, and, and yet forgoes the opportunity to be of service forgoes cultural hospitality, <clears throat> um, laws and traditions in that time, and um, just forgoes it and moves on. And it could have been that he was like the, the priest. It's unknown named amount of reasons why he passed on. It could, it could have been fearful for his life. Might have been felt inadequate, didn't have the training. I don't know how to deal with, with that. That's a hot mess. Maybe afraid of defilement. Maybe Levite had a pressing schedule. Maybe there was some other reason. Whatever it was, the Levite left that person to continue to suffer and potentially die. You see, it's noteworthy that we don't make, the, make a mistake of vilifying the priest or the Levites. And doing so misrepresents the very core teachings that distracts us of what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. Jesus is sharing with the crowds and the religious community, those faithful followers of God. And he's also sharing with us, the church, that the priests and Levites aren't bad guys. All right? Really, they represent all of us in some form or fashion. They knew better. They had opportunity. They see a need of another person. They, and then they turn a blind eye. As the scriptures say, they just crossed to the other side of the road and moved on. And in some regards, we need to give them grace because we're all guilty of the same thing at various times in our life. I include myself in that where I see the need of a person and I realize I don't want to get involved. And we go on. 
For the two that walked away as well as for us, they appeared to be hyper-focused in their lives and, <clears throat> and they have unnamed personal reasons not to go ahead and, and stop and be of service. You see, the genesis of this parable is love. Loving our neighbor enough to be of service. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That goes ahead and gets back to the core question of eternal life. And that difference of eternal life of Jesus in our lives is to empower us to be able to stop and be of service because of God's love for everyone. And it also inspires us to go ahead and see others with God's love. The priest and the Levite, they failed to reveal a love of God to each other. Which takes us back to the original question is, who is my neighbor and who is not my neighbor? Life is complex and sometimes we, we find ourselves caught up in the tanner. Uh, the uh, tyranny of our tasks, and we begin to feel inadequate that, and under-equipped that whatever God throws at us, I can't do it, I'm not equipped, I don't know how to handle that kind of thing. And when we begin to listen to that voice, soon we, we forget that we are to live into the love of God for others. Because God loved us first. We forget that we are to live a life of service because we worship a God that came in the form of a servant. If Jesus came in the form of a servant, and I've turned my life and will and care all over to the care of Jesus, and I'm supposed to follow him and be more like him, maybe being a form of a servant is how his love shows through me. You know, that it's hard to do that. Sometimes we're suffering ourselves. Sometimes we feel beaten. Sometimes we feel in need. And, and when we did that, when we were beaten and in need and laying on the side of the road, metaphorically speaking, Jesus saved us. He stopped and he saved us. And like the priest and the Levite, we're not bad people. We're just normal people afraid of messing up. We're, we're normal people that hesitant being caught up into the chaos of others because that's complicated and life is messy and so are relationships. See, we're normal people that get caught up in our lives and, we, and when we do, we get so caught up in ourselves, we forget the greater call of God upon each of us to be servants of God. Maybe we have concern for our personal safety or a reluctance to get our hands dirty. Maybe we have failing health. Maybe we're entering into a new season of life or, or ending a new season of life. Maybe we're on our way to work. Maybe we're on our way home. Maybe we're going to, to do some grocery shopping. Or maybe we got the kids with us. Or, or maybe we're just tired and worn out. Maybe we're burned out. Maybe we have a business commitment that just can't be changed so we look at our watch we look at the need and we cross the road and we pass by you see with each justification we begin to see people not as a human being that's half alive but just another person that's just half dead a person whose life's in ruins and a person who's really just a poor investment of our time and our resources and so we protect ourselves from injury, and, and not just physical injury, but the emotional and the mental and the spiritual injury that can come when we invest into mess of life. When we become service, we open ourselves up, and when we do that, we're opening ourselves up to getting hurt. See, we all knew, know too well the anxiety of being caught up in the complications of, of a situation when we expose ourselves to real people. And real problems. See, like the Levite, we may go and investigate and check the circumstances out and then pass by. And whether it's rooted in a feeling of, of inadequate adequacy, a feeling that we're going to get defiled or we're going to catch something or rejection or a pressing schedule or this awkward intrusion into our privacy or the, the hassle and disruption of 
and detour of life that it's going to take, or even the distraction from our own responsibilities, we resign from assisting, we resign from being of service, and we allow souls to continue to suffer because we pass by. And we tell ourselves that we didn't cause the problem, that it's not our responsibility, that we got no skin in that game, not my monkeys, not my circus. And before long, rather than loving all of our neighbors, we have selectively chosen who our neighbors are and who our neighbors are not. Just like the individuals Jesus is addressing in this parable. It doesn't mean we're bad, but it does call for us to take a thorough inventory and, re and reflection, perhaps, maybe, maybe, we can, possibly, perhaps, open ourselves to the grace of God and attempt to love a little gooder. Just a little gooder. Start by becoming a better neighbor to all people and begin making a life-changing difference like that girl at the beach, one at a time, one person at a time. God never calls us to take on the world. He just calls us to go ahead and face those opportunities that he sets up and allow his love to flow through us, that, that others can see him in us. And live into that example because God is with us. And we become neighbors through compassion, through personal conduct and or personal contact and commitment. And that girl on the beach highlights that one person cannot meet all the suffering. They're just too much. Yet she does something profound, doesn't she? She goes ahead and she just affects that one thing in front of her that can make a difference to one person at a time. And when she's laughed at, when she's mocked, she just helps one. And over time, that example is contagious. And other people will begin to be inspired and begin to help because of God's love that is so profound flowing through us. And Jesus uses this illustration, which is great. This, the, the Samaritans were despised. And, and to highlight how we are served, we are to do it so as the Samaritans without reservation, without fear of who we are assisting and, and what we are doing it, doing it for, as well as to be God's compassion and, and witness of mercy and grace to the world. And, and no doubt the listeners were shocked and probably a little upset that Jesus would highlight a Samaritan who was despised and hated by the Jewish people. In fact, the person lying down on the road, it really probably says that person's, that traveler's state of mind. That person must have been really, really close to dead. Because any Jew worth their salt would never even accept help from a Samaritan. And by having a Samaritan as those the ones need help, Jesus breaks down the, the cultural barriers that keep us from helping others. The nationalistic barriers that we look at others as those people that cause us to distrust people outside our comfort zone, our circle of familiarity, and our cultural belief. And he, and he shows that, that when we break those down, we begin to open up to the real human needs of others. As well as begin to show an example of what it's like to be loving of all of our neighbors. And when we, we begin to look into this, there's three characteristics that are worth investigating. Compassion. When we're of service, it's compassion. It's personal contact. And it's commitment. See, the Samaritan sees the same things as the other two, and he does not pass. He stops. The Samaritan sets aside his personal convictions, hostility, national identity, and obstacles to serve the greater love of God. Simply put, the Samaritan shows the love of God that transcends personal rights and wants and belief system for the sake of being present to the needs of others, even when those others that that person is willing to help 
would potentially reject or dismiss him. It made me think, I wonder if the crowds who, the, who despised the Samaritans, if they felt convicted when Jesus shared this example. As Jesus is saying, you know what, those people that you claim that don't love God are showing God's love better than God's people. And then there's service through personal conduct. The Samaritan serves through personal conduct. He doesn't just come and distance himself and say, hey, what do you need over there? Rather, he makes personal conduct with the potential cost of his personal space and his personal comfort. It's not comfortable helping people or being of service. And he forgoes that. He gives personal conduct and care through proximity, not remote charity. And the victim is wounded, and immediately the Samaritan treats these life-threatening wounds with oil and wine and bandages. See, that combination of oil and wine was in the first century was often used to, to cure, ease pain, and cleanse wounds so they wouldn't get infected and cause death. And, and on a side note, and it wasn't lost on, on those first hearers that the oil and the wine, there's a very good possibility the priests and Levites were actually carrying with them the very thing that could have helped save this person's life. And they crossed a road and they passed by. But isn't that often the case? God gives us opportunities and we feel that we aren't prepared, that we don't know what it is. And we, so we don't even investigate it when God has already given us the tools to go ahead and affect whatever he leads us into. That's faith. If God leads us into something, God is with us and God will go ahead and see us through us and give us everything we need to affect whatever it is of his leading to his glory. If we're willing to surrender to that. And here we see the Samaritan foregoes the danger of stopping, the, the potential being vulnerable to bandits, a detour from his schedule. And it means the Samaritan took the time to administer compassion through hum, human healing touch. And this third characteristic is of the Samaritan is commitment. And, and it's a commitment of time and it's a commitment of resources and it's uncomfortable the Samaritan even goes so far as to use his mode of transportation. And, and if the Samaritan is going to go ahead and, and help this individual, let's just say he had a car or a donkey or whatever it was. He's getting and transporting someone, his personal belongings, he himself, through personal contact. His personal belongings had to get shifted around. His priorities had to get shifted around. Chances are... He got potentially blood on his gear. That's a commitment. That's an investment. And then he assumes responsibility and reveals a characteristic that all Christians should embrace of giving and investing in actions that bring forth life. There's nowhere God wants us as Christians to live into actions that bring forth death. Whenever a Christian does something, we are to bring forth life because all of God's actions are life-giving and life-forth-bringing. And so the Samaritan gives away his time and, and he takes this man to the end and he spends all night tending to the wounds. Maybe losing sleep, foregoing meals to make sure this man doesn't die a stranger. And then the man's committed to the progress of this man's healing and he gives away his resources. Not because scripture indicates anywhere the Samaritan has money or has it in abundance or plenty. It's because he's showing a love of neighbor because God's love is so profound in him. And the two silver coins that he gives would have been proficient money for lodging, food, and resources for a week, possibly two and the Samaritan man said, I will be back and I will go ahead and take care of this guy's tab. He gave his time and his resources. The Samaritan made a, an eternal difference, made a difference to just one 
person. See, the point of the parable is a powerful statement for all of us to sacrificially love our neighbor that gives evidence of God's love to a world that is beaten up, a world that is robbed, a world that is stripped, a world that is laid out on the side of the road with half-alive souls. And the question is, when we as the church, as we as God's people, how do we respond, like the priests and the Levites or as the Samaritan? What do we do with our interrupted schedules? What do we do with utilizing our resources? What do we do with the cost of our personal comfort? What about if it risks our reputation that somebody in the community might see us helping those people, that person, or whatever? What about the potential cost of, of, of property? And, and in, what about even helping someone that we've never even met before? Because God led us to that person. Here's a good pastoral side note. It has to do with the prayer time yesterday. Those that were involved in this prayer time said everybody agreed that it would be life-changing for the culture of our church. That you cannot go through this prayer time and leave the same. When we open ourselves up to prayer and we open ourselves into communication with God, more and more we learn and mature in our discernment. And when God leads us into something, we know the difference between me feeling guilty that I've got to help somebody because I'm Christian and I love Jesus. And if I don't help them, well, that's bad. Or God saying, I am sending you to help this person now, and I'm with you. That takes maturity. That takes listening to the Holy Spirit. And that takes a time and investment into God, his love, and prayer. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It begins with a love of God. And when we love God so much, I really could care less about my reputation, about those that I hang out with. See, becoming a neighbor shows compassion. It shows personal contact. It shows commitment that is initiated by God's love, expressing itself outwardly through us in actions and deeds. And we learn that we can no longer justify ourselves by drawing these distinctions between persons. We no longer can say who is and who is not my neighbor. The neighbor is the one who sees and acts with compassion, who's willing to go and forego discomfort and make personal contact and then walk for as long as God says to. It may not be for the rest of your life. It may be for five minutes. But when we submit to God as his holy people, we trust that his plans and these interactions are a divine appointment. When I served at the fire department, it was instilled in each single person that if one person's working, we're all working. And the same is with life in following Christ. If one of us, Jesus calls us all to serve, not just one, not just two I don't see in the Bible where someone just has a gift of serving. Well, you have a gift of serving, so we'll just let you do that. Because I don't want to steal God's gift. Jesus is really clear. He came as a servant. And his body is made up of servants. See, when we do so, we share this load and this responsibility together. Which highlights back in the story of the little girl. And illustrates that. The crowds joined her because she made a difference to one and inspired other. And the, main, and the same mindset is with us. That when we see people, regardless of who they are, we take it before the Lord. And if he leads us, we take the responsibility in action. Because there are some people that are so badly marred and so beaten up and so distraught in life's circumstances that without the help of the church, their souls will die. This is the call, not just of one person, but in the entire body, to make a kingdom investment and see all peoples as made in the image and likeness of God and then show his love, his compassion, and his mercy to all without saying, well, you're not my neighbor. 
And when we do so, we do maturely, we do it together, we count the cost, and we're willing to nullify our responsibilities and be the best stewards of God's time and resources that he has provided for us. See, the Samaritan doesn't meet every need and person along the way of the blood. But he did meet the need of the one in front of him. And as Christians, aren't we on the way of the blood? Because we are made of the blood. So when we go on our way down the road, we know that we are taking the forgiveness and the sacrifice and the blood of Christ with us that saves us. See, if you're not engaged or active in service as, as a follower of Christ, I would, prayerfully, I would ask you to prayerfully consider why not and, and where does God want you to serve? See, if you're not committing, <clears throat> when we serve, especially like in the local church, there's a fear that when we commit to something, we're going to be doing it for the rest of our life or until Jesus comes back. Same with Bible studies. And it causes us not to want to make a commitment like that. But we are called to be a church. And as a local church, as a local body of Christ, we're all called to pitch in. See, everybody has a place and everybody has a place to serve. So prayerfully consider, where would God have you serve here? The Connect Crew? Children, youth, buildings and grounds? How about tech? How about vision? How about helping out? giving rise to people that need a ride to church or helping with the needs of the inside of the church, helping with the needs of the outside of the church. Maybe it's helping with administrative needs like bulletins and inserts and newsletters and, and helping out with that. That's when you get to use your giftings, right? Gift of administration. What about VBS? And helping our children, the next generation, investing in sharing Jesus with them, that they grow up with a passion and a love of Christ because they see the love of God. And we don't see our kids as, as unworthy. We see our kids as worth a worthy investment of Christ's love. You see, each of us will come upon, I'm sorry, each of the travels came upon one need. But only one stopped. One was of service. And so whether it's here in the local church or in our community, it means we need to do our best together to meet the, the very real needs of very real people around us, wherever God would lead us and we would happen upon it. That we are to serve in the church, the local church, as well as in our greater community. And like the girl on the beach, like the, the Samaritan that was despised, we can still make an eternal difference to the one that God leads us to if we can learn to love all of our neighbors regardless of who they are to God's glory just as he desires. So our challenge, question, challenge this week, who is the one that God is calling you to help? Where are you engaged in service with our Fresno First family? If you need assistance, here we go. There's two sides of being a service. If you need assistance, are you willing to go ahead and ask for it as well as to be of service? Because you can do both at the same time. What is one area the Lord is leading you to serve? And what is one obstacle to being of service? And are you willing to have God remove that obstacle? Would you please stand? for a blessing. May our souls overflow with the love of God as we connect, grow, and serve in our communities and in our local church family with compassion, personal contact, and commitment. May God open your eyes to the one in whom he would have us give help, and may we have ears to hear the direction of the Holy Spirit in wisdom and truth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are sent. Amen.